You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the 10th week of our series where we are going verse by verse through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. I say this before every sermon. If you're new to Rev Church, joining us online for the first time, what we like to do at this church about 90 to 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture like we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Salmon. Salmon. Seven. Is it Salmon or Salmon? How many of y'all say Salmon? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of y'all say Salmon? Okay, all right. I know the proper way to do it where I won't sin now. That was random. Uh, but... Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is one of those passages, and we've decided to go verse by verse through this. I want to tell you today that today's message, if there was ever a message in the Sermon on the Mount, and I've just got to be honest with you, preaching through this has absolutely convicted me. Uh, There have been sermons uh, in this uh, message series like on anger, lust, and different things like that where the Lord has really spoken to me individually. Uh, It's been easy preaching, hard living as we say. Today's message, though, has the potential to set some people free. It at least has the potential to encourage some of you guys like you haven't been encouraged in a long, long time. I heard about this guy that was standing on the top of a 50-story building about to jump off and take his life. An officer showed up on the scene and was trying to stall the guy and just get him to not to jump off and uh, was talking to him and eventually said, Listen, man, listen, the officer says to this guy, You tell me your problems, and I'll tell you my problems. And if your problems are any worse than mine, then you go ahead and jump. He's just trying to wait it out, like trying to stall him till the proper authorities came and negotiators came. And so so this guy starts to tell the police officer, well, I've got this problem and my marriage and the world and my kids and all this stuff. And, And he says, now you tell me yours. And the police officer says, well, I got marriage problems too, and the world's burning down around us, and my kids are messed up, and everything's terrible. After they both got done, they both held hands and jumped off the building. That's the way worry is, isn't it? Spreads like a virus. Gives you no hope. I don't know if you know this or not. You know, I wasn't really familiar with Uh, this kind of language until COVID came along, uh, pandemic, endemic, those kinds of things. But there has been a silent pandemic, so to speak, that has been creeping up and taking over our culture, specifically in America, for decades. And it has to do with anxiety and worry. There are hundreds of studies that are done on anxiety and worry, and You could pull statistics from any of them, but the thing you'll find that's the common thread in every single one of them is it is an overwhelming problem in our culture. The most reputable study I could find said that 20% of adults, that's one out of every five adults, have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. It's a little bit higher for women. 25% of women have been diagnosed, one out of four women, with an anxiety disorder. 30 to 40% of kids, and it's on the rise since we locked kids in their house during COVID and didn't let them have any social interaction. 30 to 40% of kids, we're talking five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, 
struggle with some type of anxiety disorder or experience anxiety on a frequent basis. We've got a term for this today that many younger generations use called mental health. Now, older generations, my generation, and the ones that are older than me, I don't think we did a good job talking about mental health. I think that our attitude towards it was just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just grit your teeth and get through it, and let's not talk about worry, anxiety, let's just push it down, and it's had pretty devastating results over generations. On the other side of the coin, I really believe that younger generations in here give mental health or anxiety or depression or however you want to say it, too much power in their lives because that's all they ever talk about. That, to the point where it really paralyzes them to not even be able to really live their lives. Now, let's make a distinction today before we get into the Scripture between what's known as godly concern for something and worry or anxiety. Godly concern can actually be biblical. But the difference between the two is concern is something that you own and it doesn't control you where worry absolutely controls you. It controls your mind. It controls your actions. It controls where you will and won't go. At the heart of worry, really, it happens as a result for every single one of us when we feel powerless and we feel like we have no control. So I'm going to mix some terms up today, but when it comes to worry, when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to getting worked up, when it comes to panic or panic attacks, or this is what it looks like with me when I'm stressed out and I'm worrying too much, when it comes to losing sleep, they're all symptoms of the same sin. And let's be honest, it's a pet sin for many of us, the sin of unbelief. At the heart of worry is a lack of trust in God's promises and his providence. In fact, this is why we go through books of the Bible, because we land on passages like this. When was the last time you heard a pastor rebuke or correct worry? We don't usually. We usually come along beside you because it's so common and try to make you feel better about the fact that you are worrying. But today, we're going to see Jesus be very clear. Anxiety and worry are emotionally and psychologically paralyzing. Anxiety and worry are spiritual thieves that rob us of joy, peace, sleep, and a thousand other things. The title of the sermon today is The Prescription for Anxiety, or if you will, The Prescription for Worry. And here's the spoiler, the cure for worry is changing the way we think. You've got to understand, if you're a Christian in here, and you love Jesus, and you're trying to live for Him, the greatest spiritual battles that you are ever going to face is going to be between your ears. It's all in your mind. So when it comes to worry, the battlefield is the battlefield of the mind. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 25 through 34. Pick up right where we left off last week. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Now, to understand the context of this, we may reference this a couple times. If you remember two weeks ago, Jesus taught us about uh, being, not being a hypocrite in our prayers, in our fasting, and in our generosity. 
Last week, Jesus talked about materialism. He talked about building treasure in heaven. It's that famous passage where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he talks about stewardship of money. So it's going to tie directly to worry, as we're going to see today. I'm going to read the entire passage, and I'm going to talk about four things that Jesus tells us in this passage. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, side note, this is what's known as a present imperative in the Greek. And so, in other words, this is not a suggestion that Jesus is making. This is a command calling for constant and continuous action when it comes to worry. Notice, no wiggle room here. It's not okay. Well, your kids, it's okay to worry about. No, no, no. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Little faith. He didn't say you got no faith. He said you got little faith. Isn't that interesting? And then Jesus later teaches, all you got to have is a mustard seed. You got some skimpy faith here. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, isn't that good? Good for your soul just to read that. It gives you peace. The Word of God is alive and active. Some of y'all are wanting to bolt out of the door right now because you know what's coming, man. You know what I mean? First, Jesus says, God will take care of our food and our clothing. Essentially, what he says is, look at Mother Nature who submits to Father God. It's kind of mixed up in there, but that's the gist of it. He comes out and he's speaking to an audience that is not like us today. The audience that Jesus is preaching to, they didn't know day to day whether or not they were going to eat. We can't really relate to that because we know we're going to eat. We're just trying to figure out what we're going to eat. Y'all know what I'm saying? In fact, some of the marriages in here can relate to one of the biggest frustrations in your life is when you look at your wife and say, where do you want to go eat? And for the next two hours, you hear, no, not that. I don't want that. Not Mexican. Not this. Not that. Everybody know what I'm talking about? So we don't get this. The audience Jesus was speaking to only had the clothes on their back. You remember a few weeks ago when Jesus said, if somebody asked for your shirt, give them your coat too. And we talked about the value and the importance and the need of survival, how, how people needed their shirt. They needed their coat. So to this audience, this is groundbreaking what Jesus is saying, even though we don't quite understand it. Jesus essentially says, hey, God feeds the birds and God clothes the flowers. 
And then he leaves us with this question that we're supposed to wrestle with and ultimately answer when he says, are you more valuable than birds and flowers? Anybody know the answer to that? Yes! You are so much more valuable. You were created in God's image. You were recreated and reborn through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, you were bought with a price. Are you more valuable than a bird and a flower? You know, the value of something is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for it. How valuable are you considering God the Father paid the price of His own Son's life for you? You are of infinite value and worth to your heavenly Father. So why are you worrying? Marketers in our culture today are constantly trying to convince us that the things we don't have are the things we really need, and the things we do have are really not that good. Open up any magazine, watch any TV show, get on social media, and you'll see ads for the newest foods that are out. Taco Bell has this new Dorito Enchirito thingamajig. I'm down with some Taco Bell, or y'all, you know what I mean? I'm going to reference that a couple more times probably in this sermon. You know what I mean? Enchirito. They haven't had that in forever. I do remember the Enchirito song. Does anybody know the song, the Enchirito song? Enchirito, Rito, Rito, Rito. That's what they it used to be in the commercial. Y'all sing it with me. Enchirito, Rito, Rito, Rito. Um, but anyway, makes you want it. <laughs> All right. The newest clothes are advertised everywhere. The newest restaurants are advertised everywhere. All the material possessions that we see advertised cause us to want them, which ultimately that want leads us to having worry and anxiety over it. Not to mention the fact that we have a 24-7 media that is constantly throwing worry at us because that's how they get you to watch. Worry, worry, worry. That's all they sell all the time. All politicians sell in order to get you on board with their agenda is they want to make you mad and cause you to worry so, they will, so that you will support them. Manipulating your fears, causing anxiety, causing worry. And then, you know what's crazy? In the ultimate punk, the same places that advertise all these different things advertise the prescription drugs that are supposed to help us cope with the anxiety and the worry that they have caused for us. And it's a cycle of insanity. We worry, worry. Let's get doped up on a new drug. Worry, worry. More on that in a minute. I'm going to talk about, you know, when it comes to anxiety, drugs, and things like that. I'm not demonizing them. I'm just saying it's a cycle of insanity. I heard about a rich man that was stressed out. And so he put an ad in the paper and said, I'm going to pay somebody to worry for me, and I'm going to pay him $100,000 a year. Well, a man showed up at his, at his house. He said, I'll do your worrying for you for $100,000. He said, great, you can start right now. 
Well, the guy looked at him and said, well, when am I going to get paid? He said, that's the first thing you can start to worry about. Jesus is saying that food is a terrible master. Clothing is a terrible master. Material possessions are a terrible God to worship. Political agendas are a terrible God to worship. The news is not the best source of truth. See, when it comes to worry and anxiety, every single person in here, you're going to have a way that you cope with it and you deal with it. And some of you, when it comes to the worry and anxiety and stress and sleepless nights, you're going to deal with it in a destructive manner. You'll turn to drugs. You'll turn to alcohol. And you just can't quit drinking every day to deal with whatever it is that's freaking you out or stressing you out and causing anxiety. Some of you, you turn to things that aren't even necessarily bad things, but they can become gods in your life. For instance, one of the ways I deal with it is I work out. And I realized about 10 years into my marriage, I had a God in my life and it was working out. And working out is a good thing, but when it becomes more important than prayer and all the things that God prescribes to us, you've got a problem. Maybe when you worry and you feel anxiety, you eat. And you just stuff another box of little Debbies in your mouth. Go into a diabetic coma totally abusing the temple that God has given you. Little Debbies aren't bad. Amen? But they can become bad. Scripture gives us an alternative. As we read through this passage today, just know I'm going to quote Philippians chapter 4 with every one of these points because it's almost as if Paul verbatim teaches what Jesus teaches here. Listen to Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious. In other words, don't worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's that mind again. I'm going to tell you all something. For some reason, in our comfortable consumerism culture in America, we feel like we have the right to always be happy and we should never go through hard things and we should never struggle with depression and we should never have things that might cause anxiety in our life, but that is a complete lie. If you are going to live your life, especially if you're going to live your life for God, you better get ready because there is no guarantee that you aren't going to go through seasons where you struggle with what we may call depression, where you're not going to have days that are worse than other days. And you better learn how to deal with it in a biblical manner or they are going to eat you alive. We pray. We give it to God. Prayer leads to true contentment that comes from trusting in God's provision. So in other words, in this first point, what I'm saying, what I believe Jesus is saying to us today is, turn the stinking news off. L listen, some of y'all, the first thing you do, and you have it on in the background all day long, is you turn on Fox News or CNN. Turn it off. Put your phone down for a second. Stop listening to the world and spend some time with God. If you're looking for peace, this is what he tells us to do. So God will take care of our food and our clothing, really our needs, 
You remember the, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, our needs. Secondly, God will take care of our lives. What did he say? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Of all the things we could worry about, probably the greatest worry we could have is death. Isn't it? Death is that one that creeps up on us. Father, time's undefeated. Start falling apart. You get diagnosed with something, and this is a real concern. But what Jesus is saying is God will take care of your lives. See, worry will affect the quality of your life, but it will not add to the length of your life. Your life is in God's hands alone. Let me give you some scripture references. Job 14.5, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. 1 Samuel 2.6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to live, time to be born, and a time to die. Psalm 39.4, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Psalm 139.16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Before you were even in your mother's womb, God knew who you were. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. What worry does is it causes stress and anxiety that can lead to all sorts of mental, emotional, and physical ailments that might shorten your life or at the very least make the last days you have left completely miserable. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Worry is a drain on your contentment. Worry is a thief of our gratitude. Jesus says don't worry like the pagans do because in Jesus' day, the pagan gods that people worship, you couldn't depend on them for anything because they weren't real. They couldn't be trusted. And it's the same today. If you're trusting in something of the world, it's going to let you down. But God, our Father, never lets us down. God is in full control, so stop worrying. Stop worrying. Listen, a person's survival depends on God's sovereignty, not human anxiety. You don't add one day. So what I'm telling you, Rev Church, is God has a plan. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows who you are. He knows what you need. He loves you. And rest assured, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Listen to Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul's like, I've had good days and I've had bad days. Good seasons, bad seasons. He says, uh, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We rest in him. We rest in him. You ever thought about the fact that if you've ever ridden on a bus, you don't know the bus driver, but you don't freak out. If you've ever went on a flight before, you don't even know the pilot's name. But you don't worry about it. You're pretty sure you're going to get from A to B safer than in a car, right? If you've ever been on a cruise before, you don't go into the cruise thinking, we're probably going to be the Titanic. You don't even know who the captain of the ship is, right? But you trust him. We know our Heavenly Father. Trust him. He has you in his hand. Thirdly, God will take care of all of our needs. 
listen to this verse. I quote it all the time. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Pastor Tony Evans uh, saw him preach a sermon during the pandemic, and he said something I'll never forget. The moment you move God into second, you remove him from involvement in your life. This is what Jesus is saying here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Seek first what you want. We'll see. We'll see. I have people come to me all the time. And if you're in here, you may know that I quote this verse to you all the time. And they'll tell me about all their needs. Pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. And they'll say like, Josh, what do I do? For instance, this is a pretty common one. I really want a husband. What should I do? What do you think I say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he'll give you everything you need. If you're supposed to have a husband, he'll give you a husband. Josh, I really want a wife. Hey, bro, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. If you're supposed to have a wife, he'll give you a wife. But follow him first. Get close to him first. Josh, I need a financial miracle. I need God to come through after we work through whether or not, like last week's sermon, you know, they're being a good steward over what God has given them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, in other words, I need a financial miracle to buy me a brand new $100,000 car. That's not like, that's not like, come on, y'all, you know what I mean? Please help me make my boat payment, God, that I can't afford, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, but like, like it's literally me looking at them and saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll give you everything you need. You need healing. Seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you everything you need. You need purpose. Seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you everything you need. Hey, we get this one, don't we, Rev Church? You need a church building. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll give you everything you need. Any of you guys that have been here for the last two years, as we've been praying through this facility, what have we done for two years? Not a whole lot different because we know what we're called to do. We didn't manipulate you guys. We didn't come up here every single Sunday. We've updated y'all, but we don't like beg for money and stuff. No, we know what we're called to do. Every Sunday we preach the gospel. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And what did God do? I'm not saying we're perfect. but We did the best we could to seek first the kingdom of God, give him and and his righteousness. And we were like, if God's going to do it, God's going to do it. Otherwise, we don't know how it's going to happen. And what did he do? He gave us a movie theater. Is everybody with me? Say amen. And it's crazy. Right? And we, we were sitting here like going, Lord, maybe the ball's going to kick us out. Can, can you believe the timing? Have y'all seen the new fence out there? It's slowly creeping this way, ain't it? And we're going to be out the door going, see ya, going to 42,000 square feet instead of getting shut down. But I was literally like, maybe the church will be done. Maybe there was a season for it. I'm going to trust him. If it is, it is. I'm just going to keep preaching the word. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this because the church has really done a bad job of really dealing when it comes to the subject of mental health and worry and anxiety. Again, I think the church has tended to fall into the category of just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. When I think there is some people that need some help with their brain. 
You may even need a brain doctor, so to speak. If somebody in here was struggling and you had something going on with your heart, you would think nothing of going to see a cardiologist to prescribe the right medications to you, uh, to make sure that your heart, you know, tell you what to do in order to get your heart healthy and on the right track again. Well, I believe it's no different with your brain. I believe that there are medical professionals out there. We call them counselors. We call them therapists. And what they go to school for is not how do we treat the heart, it's how do we treat the brain. Some of y'all have so much PTSD, you've got so much trauma in your life that it would benefit you greatly to go see a counselor, to go see a therapist, to go talk to someone that knows how to ask the right questions and lead you down the right paths so you can start to find healing in your brain. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Okay, and, and I believe that especially in smaller towns, there's a stigma around this, right? It's like, oh, you're weak. You go see a counselor. Well, I'll tell you this. I met with uh, my main mentor, Pastor Chris Stevens of Faith Promise Church about two months ago, and the church is technically, the church's 10-year anniversary is next weekend. And I asked him, I said, what do I need to be doing to make sure I finish the race the right way? I ask him that probably every five years, like, what do I need to do different? What do I need to start doing? in order to finish this race well. In other words, my end goal with this church is I want to love my wife. I'm praying my wife loves me. I want to love my kids. I'm praying my kids love me. And I'm praying I don't screw up real big and like have an affair or steal money or do something stupid. Y'all know what I mean? If I get to the end of my ministry and that's what it looks like, my kids love me while wife loves me, I love them, and I haven't done anything real stupid, I feel like I've been pretty successful. Is everybody with me? Say amen. And so I asked him, what do I need to start doing? And he gave me some great advice. But one thing he said was, you need to get a counselor as soon as possible. Anybody that's a marathon runner will tell you that if you're running a marathon and you wait till you're thirsty to drink, you're already dehydrated. He said, man, you need to have somebody that can help you work through stuff, that can make sure you're healthy. And so a couple weeks ago, for the first time in my life, y'all, I saw a counselor. So you may be sitting out there thinking, oh, pastor's lost his mind. I'm never coming back. That's fine. That's fine. Keep living your dead religion, thinking you're better than everybody else because you don't need a counselor, okay? But I hope what that does is it helps you with the stigma that surrounds it. And it makes you go, it's okay. It's okay to say, I might not have it all together up here. I may need to go see the heart doctor, so to speak, the brain doctor, so to speak. And some of y'all absolutely need that. But at the very least, what you need is you need people in your lives that can speak into your lives and that you can talk to about things. This is how you find freedom. We believe that here at this church, that the way you find freedom is not confessing your sins to God. That's what saves you and gets you to heaven. But the way you find freedom is, what did James say? Confess our sins one to another. The reason some of y'all are so tormented by your yesterdays and you can't get over your past is because you fake it. You don't have anybody you can talk to about the things that you've been through. The prayer of a righteous person has power in your life, and you've never had somebody drill in and pray for you so that you can be set free in this life. So you absolutely need people. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Listen to those two verses again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things he will be given to you. These are good verses to take pictures of. If you're going to get a tattoo, get this one tattooed, okay? Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Almost verbatim. Finally, Jesus says God will take care of our future. God will take care of our future. What do he say? Do not worry about tomorrow. There's plenty of people worrying about tomorrow. You're supposed to be set apart. You're supposed to be peculiar. You're supposed to be different. And I'll tell you, in today's world, one of the greatest ways people can look at us and say, they're weird, is if we're not worrying. One of the greatest ways we can evangelize is when people that don't know Jesus look at us and go, how in the world do they have peace? I don't understand peace that surpasses all understanding. How they can be so calm in a world that's burning down all around us. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the future. I want to be practical with this last point and give you some hard preaching. And boy, it preaches to me too. It preaches to all of us because we all do this. But I'm going to tell you, if you are a worry wart and you live in a constant state of anxiety and worry and you feel like you never win a battle between your ears, and there's two things that you're struggling with. And I say this because the Bible tells us this. Number one, you probably have no humility. You're probably struggling in the area of humility. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves. Everybody say, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the prerequisite to casting your anxiety on him is humbling yourselves. In other words, what I'm saying is, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, you think the whole world revolves around you. Everybody should be worried about you and your problems are bigger than everybody else's. In other words, you're a victim. Nothing's ever good enough. Somebody comes to you and says, hey man, we use heart surgery. Will you pray for me? I ate too many enchiladas and I got to go to the heart surgeon next week and have heart surgery. And instead of praying for them, you turn the conversation into how you struggled with something similar five years ago and you give them no comfort. You are, the, you are the thing you like to talk about the most. No humility. No thinking of others greater than yourself. Secondly, you probably struggle with gratitude. In other words, you're not thankful. You're not thankful. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. And actually, you've seen the vein of gratitude through almost every passage we've read that has to do with worry. So here's another one, Colossians 3.15. Great one, great one. Take a picture of this one again. These are good ones to memorize. Let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking. There's that brain again, because you were all called together in one body to have peace. Always be thankful. If all you ever talk about is the things that are going wrong in your life and the problems you have, 
all around you, whether it's the roundabout they're building down the road. Driving me crazy, amen, y'all? How many wrecks are there going to be? We got an over-under here. 20, 30, first day, I don't know. Your health. And I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus is saying. Your, your situation, if all you ever talk about is the problems and you never look at the glass as half full, God's given me so much. God's blessed me. I'm breathing. I got people that love me. He, he's, he's, by his grace and his mercy, I was born and I live in the greatest nation in the world. He could have put me in the middle of the mountains of Timbuktu. And I could have starved to death before I was one, but here I am. Is everybody with me? Say amen. This hits hard, don't it? This is Josh Cardwell we're talking about here. Be grateful. Turn your thinking towards gratefulness. So what you've got to understand is, if you're a Christian in here, God is with you. If you put your trust in Jesus, God is with you and he's behind you. My son played uh, baseball this year for the first time. He did like coach pitch softball and stuff, but this was his first year playing baseball. And they rocked it, man. Uh, they absolutely killed it. I was so proud of him. Because his team actually won the championship. If you saw me about a month or two ago, I had this little pinky ring on. Uh, I was an assistant coach, so I got a championship ring. And I've worn that bad boy everywhere. And I know the first shall be last, but they, they won. So, yada, ha, ha, ha. You know, and it was awesome, okay, y'all? You know what I mean? Like, I get it, okay? But, but it was awesome. I was so proud of them because they worked so hard. And uh, every single game, I was always in the dugout. And Titus, my son, would go up to bat. And when he'd get a hit, uh, he was in the first service. And when I said what I said, whenever he would get a hit, he smiled so big. As he was running at first, I would start screaming, that's my son! That's my son! He'd be standing on first base. Like parents, embarrass your kids. They act like they don't like it, but they love it. They know you're there. They know you're supporting them. And that, man, they can't hold that smile in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You run the house, not your kids. Just remember that, okay? But, but I'd be screaming like, that's my son. Well, when he would strike out, guess what I'd do? Say the same thing. He'd be walking over, sometimes tears in his eyes. I'd put my arm around him. It's okay, man. You're still my son. I'm so proud of you. I love you. No matter how down he got on himself and how bad a game he thought he played, his dad was always there to say, <laughs> to instruct him, to encourage him, to love him when he was down, to be there for him. Some of y'all need to realize faith in Jesus is real. And you're playing this game called life and sometimes you get a hit and you feel like the Lord's saying, that's my son. Man, even when you strike out and you're disappointed and you're depressed and you're struggling with anxiety and you don't know where to turn, your dad is right there saying the exact same thing. That's my daughter. That's my son. I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to love you. 
I'm here to be here for you. There's two ways to look at God our Father. There's, oh crap, I screwed up. Dad's going to kill me. And there's, oh crap, I screwed up. I need my dad. Which one do you think God is? I need my dad. I'm struggling. He's there. Listen to me, Rev Church. You can worry or you can trust God, but you cannot choose to do both. Cannot choose to do both. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. God, this uh, message has already ministered to so many people. More tears than I've seen in a long time. A lot of sniffling going on because this is a battle for every one of us on some level. But some people in here need to be set free. They are completely paralyzed as a result of their worry, their anxiousness. God, I pray that today's sermon has ministered to them and given them the prescription that you have given us through your word on how to deal with the war that is taking place in their mind. God, I pray for them. And I know it looks like a mountain to them. But you said all we need is a mustard seed. I pray for that first small step to get involved in a group so people could love on them. Go to men's, go to women's, go to students, go to rev kids, whatever it is, so they have people surrounding them so they can find healing. The marriages in here or the people in here that, that need to drop their pride and in humility say, I'm going to find a Christian counselor that can help me work through some of the things and so we can get my brain back on the right track. And I don't have a brain heart attack. I pray for the prayer lives of the people in here. That in this fast-paced society, we'll slow down. Tucker Carlson is very talented. Joe Rogan is very talented. News people seem like they got it together. Ultimately, God, I pray we turn to your word for truth and in prayer turn to you for comfort. God, finally, I pray that in this area we would be so different that people, even maybe in this room, who don't know Jesus would look at us and say, I want that kind of peace. Because I don't know how they're doing it. And that we would be a witness in this area to a world that's dying and going to hell. We love you, Lord. You are awesome and you are mighty. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.